Are you a professional woman who wants to create passive income streams and financial freedom through real estate investing? Join us here on Real Estate Investor Goddesses, hosted by Monique Holm. Listen to women who are rocking it in real estate investments as they share their stories of success, failures, and best advice in real estate investing. Start creating real wealth through real estate. Tune in today. Here's your host, real estate investor, syndicator, and developer, Monique Holm. Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. I'm your host, Monique Holm. On this show, we interview amazing, badass real estate investor goddesses, women that are crushing it in the real estate space. And I am super thrilled for today's guest. Certainly no exception to the badass rule. She's a 34-year veteran of the commercial real estate industry, and she owns Azure Academy, which specializes in consulting services, training, sales leadership, coaching, acquisition due diligence, and market analysis. So Beth Azer owns and manages an $80 million portfolio of commercial retail properties in Southeast Florida. She's an author. She wrote and published the book, Don't Say No for the Prospect, a guide to help propel the career of both novice and experienced leasing agents. And more recently, the Retail Leasing Playbook, which is a detailed how-to book on leasing commercial retail space. She is a frequent guest on business and commercial real estate podcasts, and I'm excited to have her here. And she hosts a monthly Rockstar Book Club, where she and her listeners review nonfiction business-related books. And her Rockstar list of clients include Bricksmore Properties, Urban Edge Properties, the Shopping Center Group, Phillips Edison, Kimco, DLC Management. She has a laundry list of who's who in the commercial space. She's a graduate of Florida State University, and she's also the past chairman of the board and founder of the Florida State University Real Estate Foundation. And I'm so excited to have her. Welcome, Beth. Thank you, Monique. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with the other goddesses and badass. Welcome to the club. Well, you seems like you've been part of the club for 34 years now, so <laughs> we're excited to have you. I wish I could say I started when I was 10, but that's not the case. <laughs> 11? <laughs> so I'm particularly excited to have you because we generally have people that are in the retail space, and your focus is really in the commercial space. So how did you get started in real estate investing? So I was working at a firm with, that was a shopping center leasing and management company. And my boss came to me one day and said, we're going to buy a shopping center. Do you want to put money in? And I had been leasing for a couple of years and I was making about $60,000. And I said, I don't have any money. And then about a year later, he came to me and he said, hey, we're going to buy another shopping center. Do you want to put some money in? And now I'm making about $85,000, $90,000 a year. And I said, I don't have any money. <laughs> the next year he came and said, hey, we're going to buy the shopping center. Do you want to put some money in? And for the third time, I said, I don't have any money. And by now I'm making about a hundred and a quarter. And he really just kind of screamed at me and said, this is unacceptable. You should be saving money out of every commissions that you make and you should be investing. And he took me to a local bank and he co-signed a $50,000 loan for me. And that was my first taste of investing. We bought a shopping center. We increased the value. Six months later, refied, and everyone got their original equity back. And then that was the taste that, you know, I never looked back from there. So I was very blessed to have a guy like that 
did that for me because I know many, many people don't have that opportunity and that kind of mentor to do that. So I was very lucky. Now, I think I was 32 years old when that happened. That's super lucky and super awesome. And probably a lot of people can relate too. It's like, you know, you're, you have a certain amount of income and you're like, I don't have any money. And then your income increases, but some of your expenses and then they keep going and going. So to have some tough love, they're like, we're going to change this. That's amazing. So, okay. That was your first taste of it. And tell us, where are you now? So yeah, so I was at that company for 18 years. I was the president the last six years I was there. So while I was there, I invested in deals that he went and got, you know, he acquired. So I probably owned about six, what I call blades of grass in shopping centers that he invested in. And in 04, I left to go out on my own because I wanted to buy stuff on my own account versus following, you know, in his footsteps and shadow. And currently today, my goal back then in 04, when I started my own firm was to buy one deal every two years. So I currently own six shopping centers and I gave back a shopping center during the recession and three pieces of land either sold or gave back during the recession. Three I gave back and one I sold. So I'm on path to do one every two years. I've been gone for 15 years. And it, had I not given those, the shopping center and the three pieces of land back, I would have had 11. So I beat my goal. So I own six shopping centers, two of which I developed from ground up. And they're worth about 80 million in value. And, you know, I did it on my own, raised friends and family money, got loans, you know, learned all about lending. Because when I was with at his company, he did all of that. And when I left, I had to do all of this on my own, which I know I've listened to your other podcasts. And finding the money is not the hardest part, but it's definitely complicated. And you learn a lot when you start raising the funds or looking yeah. for mortgages. I love your story. So inspired. So I want to take a step back because, you know, most people are familiar with the an apartment or a house, you know, because they live in them. But can you share some of the differences between owning a shopping center and a apartment building? Sure. So I, I've never owned an apartment building, but I can tell you, so when you buy a shopping center, basically you're investing in the leases. So there were leases, let's say you buy a five tenant shopping center with, let's say there's a Starbucks and an insurance agent and a barber shop and a real estate office. The money, you are spending a little bit of the money on the actual physical building and land, but mostly the number that is created as the sale price comes off of the income. And it's- That operating you know, income. Yeah. Exactly. So, and depending on the market, it could be, you know, a cap rate of 10 or it could be a cap rate of four or five. The lower the cap rate, the higher the price, meaning the least amount that you as an investor is willing to get back on your money, 5%, 6%, the higher the price versus a 10 cap. So owning a shopping center, you collect rent from the tenants, whether they're credit tenants or mom and pop tenants. They take care of everything inside of their space. So the only thing you have to worry about is the parking lot, the lights in the parking lot, the sidewalk, making sure it's clean and safe, and then really just the roof. Everything else, the tenant, you know, they take care of if there's a toilet issue, they take care of if there's an air conditioning issue. So that's great. So I don't get calls, you know, in the middle of the night or, you know, during, you know, Christmas, my toilet's overflowing. Beauty of the yep. triple net lease. 
Exactly. Yay. And they, right, they pay their share of taxes, insurance, et cetera. And why I like it so much, and you know, because I was 18 when I got my real estate license because my parents were in residential. So all through college during the summers, I'd work for them in their office and sit open houses. So I had experience with residential. What I like so much about retail is I get to meet a different entrepreneur every day. Yesterday, I was showing space to a barber shop. Tomorrow, I'm showing space to a tutoring facility. You know, I'm building a Starbucks. They're opening hopefully Monday night. So I get to meet all of these different entrepreneurs, mom and pops and corporate people. And I really like the variety of that. That's super fun. So, you know, in terms of apartment buildings, also the, any commercial and when I'm talking about commercial mortgage, commercial property, it's five or more units. It's going to be based off of the NOI. I think what's really nice about the retail space is you have um, these beautiful triple net leases. Once the tenant is in, it's a lot less property management. I guess one of the challenges with, so I, I want to ask you about a couple of the challenges with retail right now. People talk about, it's like, gosh, retail is dead. With all everything that's happening with the internet, and obviously you're like all into retail. What's your answer to that? Sure. I love this question. I get it asked a lot. I've listened to some of your podcasts, so I can't really guess the age of the listeners because they've been all over, which has been very fascinating. But um, I will tell you that in the 60s and 70s, there were these things called catalogs. Do you remember Sears mm -hmm. catalog? I remember catalogs. <laughs> okay. Well, so today the retail sales revenue in the U.S. is about seven. $0.3 trillion. And online sales is 7%. Well, during the catalog era, catalogs were 10%. Mm. So people weren't freaking out about that. Now, online sales will continue to increase. But what online retailers have learned, first of all, as they go and raise their Series C, E, and F, and B, and whatever is funding, they're raising mm -hmm. 30 million, 80 million, 100 million. What we find that they're doing with that money is they're opening up bricks and mortar stores. So, Bonobos and Warby Parker and all of these uh, Wayfair, these stores that have been traditionally online, have now realized that when they open a store in an area where they have big online sales, and they, they obviously know that because they have the data, their online sales go up. And what the traditional retailers have found that have added online sales, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, et cetera, when they close a store, their online sales go down. So that's called, in the retail industry, it's called the halo effect. So what both online and bricks and mortar stores are learning, it's a partnership. Physical stores need to have online, and when online, open physical stores the revenues across the board go up. So I am not worried about the retail industry. Now, if you have a shopping center in a market where there's 40 shopping centers, like I wouldn't buy a shopping center where there's 39 other shopping centers with vacancy, right? That you have to be a smart mm, right. investor. I like to buy shopping centers where, you know, based on the supply and demand theory, where there's a lot of, you know, housing and very few commercial properties. But also going forward, there's what I call the four F words. I always, when I speak on podcasts, I have to like think, okay, who, which <laughs> podcast can I say that? But since you call you know, your, your listeners badasses, I can say, but this is just a tease because the four F words are fun, 
fitness, food, and then go with me here, physicians. Yeah. So the new shopping center tenant is food, right? So 10 years ago, if you owned a shopping center, you didn't want more than 10 to 15% of your tenants to be food because they're parking hogs. Well, now it's acceptable that about 40% of your shopping center is food and restaurants. 10 so years ago- grocery or restaurants? Just restaurants. Yeah. And okay. uh, 10 years ago, you didn't see bounce houses and trampoline parks and axe throwing places and <laughs> arcade game places. You didn't see them you know, as wildly expanding as they are. So that's the fun component, which means Basically, it's the experience, getting the people out of their homes, away from their computers and, op- and offering an experience. And then physicians, right? The baby boomer generation, which I am part of, you know, it's the largest generation to retire. Their medical needs are expanding significantly. So you'll start to see in every market, urgent care is popping up on every corner. And so every shopping center is going to have an urgent care. And most of them are backed by the local nearby hospitals. So great, great credit. So the new shopping center will have food, fun, fitness, and physicians. And then the whole fitness craze, which is Pure Bar and CrossFit and SoulCycle. And because everyone is so into their physical health, you're seeing that you have these boutique fitness concepts expanding in every center as well, Orange Theory. So I do think bad retail is dead but I don't think good retail is dead for those reasons. What's bad retail? Well, a center where you've got 40 other centers and tons of vacancy, or a center full of tenants that, you know, that provide a lot of friction for their customers, right? So 7-Eleven has announced that in the next 18 months, there will be cashier-less stores because time for all of us is our number one commodity and just like the Amazon to-go stores, 7-Eleven has announced that you'll be able to walk into a store, grab a patch of gum, and walk out and not even you know, remove the friction. Mm, interesting. Well, I love that. And it's true. There are all of these experiences or things that people are not going to be able to do online. You can't get your... You can't go to Bouncy and do that online. You can't. Um, you're like, can't get your can't get your nails done, your hair done, your yeah, you know, your, yeah, yeah, your hair services. Right. You know, I guess you can get food delivered to your house, but you know that experience of going out to eat. It's all of those things they need. They need places, and their businesses like yours that that, that provide that. So I love this asset class, and maybe. What I've been seeing, and I don't know if this is what you're seeing too, is that the, the cap rates are actually not compressing, but maybe other people are getting a little afraid of retail. So sometimes they're even, you can be finding some better deals. Yeah, definitely. In, in some markets, there's some good deals to be had. In the better markets, it's still very, very competitive, but that's okay. You just, if you work your market, farm your market, you know, understand all my shopping centers are within 10 minutes of my house. If something comes available or, you know, I have five things I'm looking to buy. They're all off market. All the sellers have said, I'm not interested in selling. But two of my six deals I got because I just waited, you know, I respectfully persistent, called every three or four months. And then, you know, one day I remember that one of my centers, the guy called on December 2nd and today's your lucky day. I go, why is that? He's an 87-year-old guy, Stanley. I go, why is that Stanley? He said, because I'm going to sell my center to you. 
He goes, I have one condition. What's that? You need to sell by the end of the year. <laughs> I said, Stanley, it's December 2nd. I said, the only way I can do that, I can't get a loan in time. So you have to, you know, hold a purchase money mortgage. He says, I'll do that for, you know, a year. So that's what we did. We agreed on a price. He held back the mortgage. I put money down and now I own that center. And I refied out a year later. I love it. But, you know, he didn't go to market because I had been persistent. I had owned two near centers near him and he knew I was the right buyer. Now, you know, maybe, I don't know if I paid a little more or a little less. The good news is I didn't have to compete because I was the top of mind. When he kind of woke yeah. up and realized I'm going to sell this before year end, he called me, we made it happen, you know, because I was the top of mind. I love that. So good. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I could talk about this all day with you. Um, I'm looking at our time. Okay. So I want to ask you the question that I always ask all my guests and brings up a lot of gold because I find that we, we learn so much more when things don't go according to plan when it's smooth sailing. So what would you say was your biggest mistake and what did you learn from it? So my biggest mistake, and it's happened to me, unfortunately, six times until I woke up. I didn't listen to my instincts. I identified an asset. I went and talked to a guy who I thought was smarter, who knew the numbers better. And I knew the market better, but I listened to him. And six times, I did not go forward and buy an asset that then someone else did it six months, a year, two years later. Six times. I don't do that anymore. If I have an instinct, I don't talk to anybody. I go for it. I put it under contract. I raise the family and friends money. I get a loan from the bank. And they don't always close. Sometimes something comes up, but I never want to make the mistake again that I didn't go for something I believed in and let someone else come from behind and do it. I'd rather learn while I'm doing it that it was not the right move and, you know, eat up some, you know, due diligence costs, then listen to someone talk me out of it. Yeah. I'm always teaching my goddesses, you have like the trusting your intuition. I never regret following my intuition. I've only regretted not following it. So exactly. And what are you most proud of? Gosh, I'm proud of my boys. I'm proud of a deal I'm working on now where I bought a two-story office building uh, that was 42,000 square feet, 1970s on a, on a hard corner, like a great intersection. And I got my partners and I said, look, this is an office building that's got 23 tenants. I've got four of the tenants that go all the way to 24, 2024. But I have this plan. It's a crazy plan, but I have this plan to build a little strip center, three tenants with Starbucks in the parking lot off mm. of the corner. And I, so I have to convince Starbucks to go off the corner. And then I have to go convince the city to let me diminish the occupancy of the office building so that when it comes time to break ground on the Starbucks building, the building's occupancy is low enough to make the parking work for the new building. <laughs> and again, a lot of people said, you are crazy. It's never going to work. But I didn't listen to them. We got Starbucks to agree. We got the city to agree. And a, next Monday, Starbucks is opening and the building's demolished. Well done. Well done. So it was a big, you know, but I, and I said to the partners, it's still a phenomenal intersection. It's still a phenomenal piece of property. If we have to wait till 2024, we'll wait them out. We got it at a price where we could have afforded to do that. 
you know, that would be plan B. Plan A is let's swing for the fences. And we did and it worked. And it's, you know, crazy. So I'm very proud of that. I'm proud that I didn't listen to the naysayers. Also really great advice. You've been at this for 34 years. You've been super successful. To what do you attribute your success? I think work ethic. I'm up before everyone, you know, after my kids go to bed or not my 19-year-old, but my 16-year-old goes, you know, goes in his room for the night. You know, I do some social media stuff or I send some emails. I'm waiting for the doctor. You know, I'm working a lot and I'm always continuing to educate myself and improve by listening to podcasts or books. And I just think I outwork everyone. Now at 59 years old, Monique, I'm starting to slow down. But early on in my career, why the guy took me and co-signed the note was because I was, you know, a maniac. I worked a lot. And my husband at the time, we, you know, we both were building our careers. So it worked for us. You know, I don't miss a soccer game. I don't miss a high school performance. I don't miss a golf tournament. I have my priorities set. But when I'm not, you know, and I do like my massages every couple of weeks, so I do take care of myself. But I just think there's people... I coach a lot of people and they go, how do you find the time? And I go, well, how many hours do you watch of Netflix every day? And then they go <laughs> like three. I'm like, well, I don't do that. You know, I focus on other things. So I think what separates me from the rest is work ethic. And also I believe in the village. I believe that find great people and treat them really well. My assistant, who's now my director of operations, has been with me for 15 years. And, you know, just flew her and her boyfriend to New York City to go see Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden. Because if it wasn't for her, I would be nowhere. So I think it's so important to treat the people who help you, you know, help run, whether it's the plumber. My mom was a property manager and she had like 400 absentee rental, like tourist rental markets. Like she would be the property manager for people who own them all around the country in, in Florida. And she would say to me, oh, I couldn't live without my plumber. And I go, oh, do you tell him that? She goes, oh, no, it would go to his head. And I, I take the opposite. You know, tell him, treat him well. You know, when there's a hurricane in South Florida, my vendors are at my properties first because I pay them fast. And once a year, I have a vendor appreciation event where I buy them a bunch of wings and beer at a local pub and I give them, you know, uh, gift cards for tenants in my shopping centers, whether it's the sub shop or the barbecue restaurant. So I'm helping my tenants and I'm also helping my vendors. And I want my vendors, I want me to be the first call they answer after a hurricane to open up my entranceways for my tenants. My gosh, there was so much gold in that answer. (laughs) So good. From the taking really good care of the people uh, that work for you, with you, to not just like the work ethic. And, you know, it's really it's like prioritizing where your time goes. I get that too. It's like, how do you find the time? It's like, I don't watch TV. That's how exactly. I find the time. So that's hours that other people are using, you know, watching other people live, like fake people live life that I don't right. actually spend doing things. And then also what was great is that you're always educating yourself too and growing and all of those things are so crucial. So this is beautiful. Before we get to our famed end of show Trinity, I have a couple more questions for you. First, Mm -hmm. what do you wish you'd known at the beginning that you now know? Math. (laughs) The numbers. It's always about numbers, isn't it? You know, sister Christine, my nun in second grade told my parents in front of me, 
Beth will always be great in English and history, but math and science, not her thing. And I heard that, you know, it's so important that mm-hmm. teachers and, and, and leaders are careful, adults are careful of what they say in front of children. To the extent that, Monique, I majored in English literature in college. So that ran with me forever, in, all the way to this job in real estate. And I always just thought, well, I'm just not good at numbers. I'm just not good. I'm just not good. And I literally had to take three or four classes and you know, become a rock star in my career to know I'm really good at numbers. And, but I tell you, I mentor women and they have this intimidation and fear about the numbers. And I tell coach women, you know, they want to invest in cash flowing real estate. Well, why don't you? I'm afraid it's too complicated and I don't know the numbers. Top three reasons every time. I'm like, there aren't that many numbers to know. If you just memorize the three or four formulas, you got it. But it is a fear of women that I never hear from men ever. No man ever says, I'm afraid of the numbers. But women say it all the time. And, and I lived it. So you wish you'd known that you can handle numbers at the beginning. Yeah, I wish I knew that it wasn't that math and the numbers weren't this scary thing that it was okay for girls to not really know. Like that just, I wished for 20 years I didn't live with that because it was yeah. stupid. Well, it's good you know that now. And also, I think it's important for people to remember, at the beginning, you're a beginner. And so there's skills to learn and things to know, and you're not going to be perfect at the beginning. It's okay to be a beginner, but you get mentors and people to help support you, and and then you get into it. Exactly. So beautiful. So before we do our Trinity, what's the best way for people to contact you if they want to find out more? So social media, pretty much my name, Beth Azor. So B-E-T-H-A-Z-O-R, very active on LinkedIn. I do have a Facebook page and Instagram. I have over 150 videos, free videos on YouTube that talk about sales training, mostly in how to lease shopping centers, but you know, smart people could convert the prospecting lesson to whatever you know, business you're in. And then I have my podcast is, I don't interview people. It's mostly just rants or, you know, today's lesson on blank. And it's also the book club. We put the book club there where, um, and that's on Anchor. So there's about 50 different podcasts. So anywhere on social, Beth Azor or my website is BethAzor.com. All right. Awesome. So time for your Trinity. What's one brag? What are you celebrating? So I think it was the one where I bought the office building and convinced Starbucks and the city to take a flyer on my crazy idea. So that's my big brag. And and I can't wait what five days and Starbucks is opening for business. So very excited. Well bragged. And what's one thing you're grateful for? My two boys and my health. Beautiful. And last but not least, what's one desire? My desire is that my boys grow up to be kind men, caring men, and responsible men, and that they have, you know, a joy in life, and the the glass is always half full. That's my Mm -hmm. desire. Well, so shall your desire be, or so much better than you can imagine. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was such a wonderful interview. It was so, 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 it was filled with so many gems. I love it. Thank you so much, Beth. You can find her at search Beth Azer everywhere. A-Z-O-R. <laughs> You'll find it. And you can find me at reigoddesses.com. And there you can join our community. 
of uh, amazing women from all over the, the world now. I think we're in 19 different countries. Uh, you can join our community there and also um, join our investor club to find out about passive investing opportunities, get freebies, get all sorts of goodies. Join our next event, which is April 17th to 19th in Los Angeles, our Wealth Through Real Estate event. So you can find all that good stuff on reigoddesses.com. And join us next week for another amazing Real Estate Investor Goddess interview. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have just listened to another episode of Real Estate Investor Goddesses, a show dedicated to sharing stories of women creating real wealth through real estate. If you found value on what you just heard, feel free to share with your friends. Visit us at reigoddesses.com to learn more about our programs and live events, as well as to access other resources. Until next time.